Hey there and howdy. Thanks for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. Glad to bring you the most talked about afternoon radio program in Lubbock, Texas. Little sister Lauren Huff is across the way making all these parts work together somehow. Somehow. Broadcasting from the West Texas Accessory Depot Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd Valencia in Lubbock. Other side listeners, whether by podcast, SoundCloud, or OtherSideOfTexas.com or on air. Get a free row of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover. can be shipped to your house. 806-866-9494. WTAccessoryDepot.com. How do you do this day, little sister? Mm, I'm doing pretty good. You're almost, you're almost done with all these finals. Yeah, almost done with all these finals. Finally going to get some sleep, you know. <laughs> that I think that's what a lot of students my age would say right around now is that they're looking forward to sleeping. <laughs> is it because you were studiously engaged in your academic endeavors? or I was studiously engaged uh-huh. in cramming for my tests. Cramming. You know, they say that's the worst way. <laughs> I know. It's, I mean, it's such a habit. You, but you I, know what's great about being 39 talking to you? That's the way I did it, too, and that's why yeah. I can't remember anything. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know. I just... They they want you to cram like four chapters into one test, uh-huh. and then at the end of the semester, it's like okay, now you're gonna have a test over yeah. twelve chapters. It's like, well, I don't remember what you talked about in the first week of class. Yeah. And then one day, your daughter's gonna get into asking you about proportionality equations and word problems. <laughs> and I'm gonna scratch my head and say, I don't know. But I think it's pretty novel that you are sitting here studying in such a studious fashion, the way that you are, because that's not the way. That, that I did it. Uh, speaking of my daughter, look, we're we're scouts people. The boys were in Boy Scouts. They kind of had a, a jerk that was their den leader, so we took a break from that for a little while. It's just, I would get so frustrated, I just think, I'm going to cause a scene. And there's no good that comes from local radio host blows up on den leader. Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> leader. I, you can't do that. That's so awesome. And I was so, a Girl Scout as so, well. Well, my daughter's a Girl Scout, and so we're engaged in this stuff, and I think this last time around, our problem is always that there's this big deficit that we have. To, at the end of the day, whenever you go through the ledger and boxes sold versus boxes consumed, every year consumed boxes, and it wasn't me, by and large, because in order to have lost the weight that I did, obviously I wasn't like hanging out in my garage eating Girl Scout cookies, but it's right. just, it just over time... Dad, Dad, Mom, Mom, can we, can we? You know, every day after school. Yeah. Fine. Have a box. And then those boxes add up. and They're so good. And then you're writing a small mortgage on Girl Scout cookies. Uh, yeah. But all that say today, news coming out. And this is from AP. For 108 years, the Boy Scouts of America, the flagship program, has been known simply as Boy Scouts. With girls soon entering the ranks, the group says that its iconic name will change. The organization on today, on Wednesday, announced a new name for its Boy Scouts program. It'll just be called Scouts BSA. So, Scouts, Boy Scouts of America. Right. The 
the change will take effect in February. So next February, Chief Scout Executive Mike Serbaugh said many possibilities were considered during a lengthy and incredibly fun incredibly fun deliberations. Uh, were they fun, Mike? Was that fun? Yeah. Because you know that the second that you come out with this story and you post on social media, like people are going to lose their minds. So I'm going to keep from the knee jerking. I've got plenty of reaction to it. But here's like a dad who has to deal with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Here's my first question. Do the boys now get to sell cookies instead of popcorn? Because I can tell you firsthand, like I just gave up on the popcorn altogether. Uh, I've done both. And whenever it comes to selling popcorn, like you might as well sell like pumpkin pie because it all tastes the same everywhere. You think about this. Anywhere you've ever had pumpkin pie, I don't care if it's at Furs, I don't care if it's out of the freezer at the supermarket, or your favorite great aunt made it. It all tasted the same. And nobody's interested in popcorn. They're like, well, maybe uh, you got any oxygen that you can sell or maybe some dryer lint because it's all that, like, nobody wants it. Has popcorn always been what Boy Scouts sell? I don't know. Did you sell popcorn as a kid? When you no, were? I wasn't in Boy Scouts. Oh, okay. We did like the Baptist version because I don't oh, know if okay. there were, I think there were Boy Scouts, but the I can't remember what the Baptists called their their little ambassadors or Royal Ambassadors. Oh my gosh, And we awesome. always went to Royal Ambassadors because we got to have Battle Royale football before and after. So we did the Baptist version yeah. of Boy Scouts. But, you know, that's my first... Before I'm, like, jump into, like, this new world order that we're living in, where, you know, like, being there in Abernathy in the late 80s and playing football royale with the royale ambassadors, um, back then there were only two genders, and now they're, like, 524. I know, it's crazy. And so it just, it makes kids crazy. And you know what? Before the show, I sent this clip to little sister. You got it queued up? I asked my daughter, what do you think about boys being in Girl Scouts? No! Why? Boys are stinky little people. And, but would it make no, you nervous to, like, sell Girl Scout cookies in front of boys? I just make them pay a hundred bucks for the cookies. Make the boys pay for it? But would it make you more nervous to have to... You know how you and I work really hard to sell cookies and I make you look people in the eye mm -hmm. and make you talk to them? How would you feel doing that in front of a bunch of boys instead of all your girlfriends? Fine. You would feel fine doing that? Sure. Not with them. Not with who? The boys. What would it be like if boys were on your campouts? No! Why? No! Okay. Why? And, no. and that's how that went. Just no. No. Yeah, she just said just no. <laughs> so she's obviously in the column, firm column, anti-scouts BSA. Uh, but, you know, this whole new world order and i mean i could like this is people are like oh how did trump win like no no no. this is why he won because there's this upheaval of culture and people are like whoa whoa can we just 
can we just have some conversations first? Can we just, before, like, slow down? So, like, even with this, like, we're going to drop boy. Well, why? Why are you going to drop boy? Because if this is, like, something, and this AP story goes on, I'll skip down. 3,000 girls have joined roughly 170 club packs across the country. And then the this one guy's like, everybody needs to stop wigging out because the, the FFA is, is co-ed and FH... Uh, they should call it LGBT scouts. Well, see, LGBTQ well, now, hold, hold, scouts. Now hold on before you get all visceral there, little sister. 4H is co-ed. FFA is co-ed. But here's the thing: it's that it. I don't remember them. And maybe like last century or or longer ago, they dropped future boy farmers of America or future boy H, uh, for boy H, from from those names, but. This is where you kind of get into the meat of the matter, is that maybe the Boy Scouts are doing an end around on the Girl Scouts, because the Girl Scouts say that they have about one point, about 1.75 million girls uh, involved, and that's down from 2 million girls in 2014. So maybe the Boy Scouts, maybe this is a larger thing. Again, other side of Texas, let's look at the other side of the issue for just a minute. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's just them saying, well, for sustainability, maybe we should just open up Boy Scouts to girls as well for this because all civics are down. Like how many how many friends your age say, "Hey, I love Qantas meeting this week. It was fantastic." Nice. Or and, you know, Lubbock has the largest Lions club. But oh, by and large, these civic organizations just taking nose dives, right? And so yeah. maybe Boy Scouts like, well, maybe for, uh, yeah, maybe we just ought to bring everybody together and try to, uh, we'll merge all these things and maybe we can sustain longer as an organization. And maybe, and maybe it's, you know, it's kind of like, let me just think for just a second. Okay. It's almost like people, like your insurance guy comes to you or your car folks come and they you know what their first conversation is about is safety Mm -hmm. you need to be safe and so the safety first thing and then they try to upsell you from there so maybe this is the scouts using totally gaslighting this situation the boy scouts gaslighting and using like the lgbt curtain to say you know what culture is changing when really they're they're dying from the inside, and they need to up their number. Maybe that's what's going on. I but mean, again, I that. if you guys are saying to me that we don't have to sell popcorn anymore, that's a better sell than coming in and saying, like, here's the lead. Here's the lead statement, Boy Scouts of America. Just give you some messaging right quick. Lease and Communications, LLC. Dear Dads of America, you no longer have to sell popcorn. You can sell the cookies that everybody wants. And nobody wants to dry or lint popcorn. You can sell the cookies. If you're on board with it, just go in Scouts. BSA. Scouts. Boy Scouts of America. Like, okay, I'm listening. But instead, they run it in this guise of, well, we're going to capitulate to culture. And we're cul- wherever culture's going in this, this upheaval that we have going on. How do you feel as a dad about Grace, as a girl, as a scout, having co-ed camping trips, just like negative ghostwriter. I mean, that's not how she is in. No, Grace, you're not going with the boys on Monday to Boy Scouts. 
because anatomically speaking and out of common sense speaking you got no business there right you're not going you don't rough house like they rough house <laughs> you don't you pay more attention than they pay attention because they're boys they're boys she goes to Girl Scouts right. on Friday yeah. afternoon after school, and they do some what girls like to do. Crafts they talk, and like yeah, that. they do those things, right? And yeah. and so okay. Now, well, we need we'll start your own organization for like ju- gender fluid. Like if that's what you got, you think you got, or that's what you're teaching your like. Just start. Let's just start gender fluid Scouts. Okay? Okay. GFS. Okay. GFS of America. I think we should just call it Scout. Just, so you're good with the, the Boy Scouts. I, I'm good with them calling it just Scouts if they're going to have to merge it. If that's just how they feel. Look at all but the I don't stuff think the Boy Scouts of America should stick in the end. I don't want to send my daughter to Scouts but then have Boy Scouts of America. I, I just know. feel like people like me. Who would just, look, I want my boys to know how to tie their knots and to work their knife and to handle a gun and maybe a bow and arrow and then how to be polite and try to pay attention for a 20-minute block of time. <laughs> like, that's what I want a boy at 8 or 9 years old to be able to do. Right. Now, on the girl's side, you know, the girl version of those things. <laughs> But now we're just we're just doing this new world order thing, and it's just driving culture, and and it's driving the civic organizations too, and it's just it's way. It, so here's what's going to happen: by the time you have kids, there won't even be Scouts of America. I believe it. It'll I just, really do. It'll be called it. "Everybody Who Wants In Come" because we need to stay alive, America. That's what it's going to be called. And with that, I'm going to lose it. we got to go to break. We're going to get Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Should we start him up with a scout's question? Yeah, I well, think we should. Ross Ramsey, right here. Stick right here on Other Side of Texas. Exactly what you said. Flatter than the tabletop makes you wonder why they stopped here. The pioneers. I have wondered that. Uh, I was like, who it's would like my kids. Like, down? Why are you listening to that song? Well, I like the beat. No, listen to the words. Like, They need to listen to Loveland and be like, Dad, why are you down on all this? Hey, this segment brought to you by Racer Car Wash. Uh, the weather has been, if I may say so myself, Go ahead. it has been flirting with us like it a has. woman of ill repute in a border town. Like, <laughs> it's yes. been it's been pretty rough, and it's just not going to rain. Racer Car Wash voted the best wash around for five years running. Stop in one of their five convenient locations across Hub City. Best wash around, guaranteed, and we guarantee it here at the other side of Texas. Racerwash.com. Let's get in with him. He is executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Ross Ramsey, how are you doing? I don't even know how to follow that. You don't have to. That's the beauty of it. It's just, it's a new page. Here we go. When was the last time you yelled or took a crowbar to something or just got angry like oh i you know i i get angry i can get angry the same way my dad does it's more dangerous the quieter i get oh this if my dad if my dad was on a on a deep simmer you were in big trouble but here's here's the ross the ross ramsey rep is even kill keeps it down the middle of the road and doesn't need jerk you think that's a fair description or do people just not know you well enough I'll take it. Why would you argue with that? Okay. <laughs> because, look, I, I see all this stuff. Go ahead. 
Sounds like a win. Okay. <laughs> well, all this stuff happens in Texas, and I've got my head on the swivel like, who's going to say what, and where's it going to come from, and oh my goodness, they said that, and the the Democratic wave is coming, and, and then no, I mean, it's just all this stuff all the time, but you just kind of keep it down the middle of the road, Ross. You're not a knee-jerk guy. Well, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and if you whipped your head every <laughs> 40 time, years ago. <laughs> eventually just roll off, you know? Okay. Self-preservation. Do we knee-jerk now more as a state, within the state political circles and in the periphery, everybody involved, the really engaged... No, we've had, no, we've had, our, we've had, our, we've had plenty of moments in, in Texas and around the country. You know, the thing that, you know, a couple of things have changed, and one of them is that we can do it so much more quickly now with cable news and the internet than we did when we were waiting for 24-hour news cycles. Okay. And and part of it is that you know there's a lot of um, there are a lot of people talking who were always talking but who you didn't hear before for the same reasons. It's like you know all these people. The day we start the internet and everybody gets an email account, everybody's a publisher, and so you get to hear. You know, you know your uncle's crazy. You know, I may know my uncle's crazy, but I didn't know yours was too. Mm. And and now you know now everybody's out there for everybody to see, and they get whipped up. And we're you know in a very tribal phase right now. More tribal you know. than ever, in your view, in the last forty. No, years? I mean you know the the thing that always gets you in trouble on these is than ever. You know, if you read any history at all, you know we've had some pretty crazy elections, and you know. Um, at the very beginning of the country, the vice president was the person who finished second in the presidential race, and they'd tear each other to pieces and then go sit in the same office. I appreciate um, the implicit critique there that you're trying to get me in trouble. I, and I do from time to time, Ross. But I think it's good to have somebody who's been doing this for a better part of four decades for me to ask it seems like we're more knee-jerk and what you're saying to me is it may seem that way because everybody can have an instant response that goes everywhere right okay right and it's you know it's not it wasn't really a shot at you it's really a shot at and and not really a shot so much as we're just not used to this you know all the people in news i mean just imagine a perfect world for a second all the people in news were trained to handle information and to say this looks like good information that looks like bad information sort of like dietitians in, mm-hmm. a, in a cafeteria line and the internet basically said we're going to get rid of the dietitians everybody decide whatever you want to eat and we're going through a period you know I, I think we're pretty well through it but we started a period where everybody said you know let's all eat Twinkies for a while well and uh, speaking of Twinkies then you learn you, you, people are learning very rapidly, you know, thank you Facebook, thank you Twitter, people are learning how to tell good information from bad information, and I'm, I'm, you know, optimistic, I'm confident that people will figure out how to assess the things that they're seeing, you know, what their information diet looks like. So, like, by the time my kids are grown, we'll, we'll have that established? And I, you know, yeah, we'll have invented a whole new way to get to, to lie off the handle and get mad about politics. Okay, so now, speaking of Twinkies and everything else, we're way off menu, but today I was <laughs> listening to General Michael Hayden, the guy who used to head up the FBI and CIA and really everything important in this country. And he, his latent, of course he's a, a, a critic of the president, but his big point in his new book is that the Russians really took advantage of American knee-jerking on social media and, right. and tried to exploit the election. And, and forget whether they went in from an R or D. 
their point was let's try to get as many groups in fighting in America as possible and we are just taking the bait man my favorite example of this was a case and I think it was cited in uh, the congressional report on the first congressional report on the Russian stuff there was a case in Houston where they got a confrontation a street confrontation started by telling you know going into Muslim groups on Facebook and saying, hey, you've got to go defend the mosque. There's going to be a, a rally against Muslims down there. Hmm. And then telling an anti-Muslim, some anti-Muslim groups on Facebook exactly the opposite. And all those people showed up at the at the rallies, and it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, and that, the guys they said would be here or here, but it was all sort of generated by, it wasn't generated by either group. It was generated by outside agitators. Man, come on, be smarter. Yeah. We need to be rocky well, in this thing. instance. I think we're, I think not we're the steroided up Russian. Right. I, you know, I think we're learning to be smarter, but we're learning slowly, and you know, we're learning the way we always learn these things. We're learning from mistakes. So, of course, here we are with about five minutes left, and we didn't even touch Texas politics. But I appreciate the perspective. I can't get it from anyone quite like I can from Ross Ramsey as we continue on here. I. Uh, you wrote a piece it doesn't matter what the supreme court says texas republicans already won redistricting how so well you know it's taken so long to settle this thing that even if the you know if you take the republican side of this and the maps are you know good and legal and should be left alone then the republicans won the decade as they should have if you take the other side of this from a minority uh, voters standpoint or from a democrat standpoint then it took the court so long to find out that the Republicans were acting illegally that they lost the whole decade in all those elections. So, in effect, the Republicans won whether they ultimately lose the court case or not. So by process. At least, at least, at least for the second decade of this century. Yeah. Well, now I'm making time. Ross Ram's the executive editor of the Texas Tribune. So one thing that the one thing the Republicans could lose in Texas is a supermajority in the Senate. Would you talk to listeners about how important the two thirds, which I guess now is like three fifths, rule in the Texas right. Senate is, and how it drives state politics? Yeah, they have a rule in the Texas Senate. You know, there's some argument about whether it's a rule or a tradition, but, you know, basically it works all the time. So they have a rule that says if you can't get at least a, a supermajority of some size together to consider an issue, that issue can't come up for debate. So if you and I are arguing about, you know, something like the bathroom bill, if the Senate is evenly divided, um, you can't bring that up for debate. You have to get at least three-fifths of the senators to say bring it up for debate. And, and the 33 senators, three-fifths of them. Well, th- three-fifths of 31 sorry, 31, senators. sorry. Uh, right. No, um, I should know that. I, I do this radio show. Go ahead. It used, <laughs> it used to be the two-thirds rule, and the Republicans were one short of that. And it empowers an individual senator. I, and I should say that, you know, a lot of the stuff that splits in the Senate doesn't split on party lines. It doesn't split on, you know, Republicans over here and Democrats over there. It'll split on something else, you know, small business versus big business or... East Texas versus West Texas, or rural versus urban, or something else. But if you've got this rule in place, if you're one senator away, that senator uh, can be a very powerful player and say, I'll let this come up for debate, but you've got to take care of me on this part of this bill, or Mm -hmm. I'm just not coming over. On the other hand, you know, they're as valuable to the other side. So 
you know, it empowers senators. The more the Senate is controlled by just a straight-up majority, just in terms of the way it proceeds, the more it's in control of its presiding officer, the lieutenant governor. So to a certain extent, the senators, even if they're sometimes losing the fight on a supermajority issue, they get their power from being that critical vote that decides whether or not something's going to come up for debate. So senators used to carry around these green slips, right? And they would get all they the names. Do, yeah. They still do. I've heard, I've heard contrary reports that those aren't even necessary anymore. And some people, and this might be where we, where we started off here, Ross, but some people call that they say that the lieutenant governor with a two-thirds vote right now has an unconstitutional veto. Well, it's not unconstitutional. I mean, the Senate uh, approved its rules according to the Constitution, and those are the rules they approved. Um, They said, this is how we're going to run our shop, and they're running their shop that way. I think there might be some adjustments this time. I think, you know, you got to wait and see what the Senate majority is. If the senators, if the Republican side loses a senator or two, then we effectively have put the Democrats back in power as to what can come up for debate and what can't. And, you know, that could be make for some interesting times in the in the session that starts in January 2019. So two-thirds could be in peril if, if Republicans lose. Which seats are they most likely if they lose a seat to lose? I just yeah, said lose yeah, a lot if, of times. If, Go ahead. If, if they lose a seat, um, the most imperiled is probably Connie Burton in Tarrant County. It's not really about Connie Burton, it's just the way that district's drawn. You know, if it's a big Democratic year, if they have a really good year, as they might, and, you know, history would, you know... And her predecessor most of the time, was... Midterm, midterm presidential elections are bad for the incumbent president. Oh. Um, so if you follow that history, the seat with the lowest seawall is Connie Burton in Tarrant County. Second is probably Don Huffines in Dallas County. Hmm. Dallas County, for a number of reasons, has been a big Democratic and is a big Democratic target this year. And then uh, Joan Huffman, Huffman down in the South Houston into Fort Bend um, area. But, you know, the the two to watch really are the ones up in the Metroplex. And if, if one or both of those flips, then you're going to have a different atmosphere in the Senate next time than you did last year. Yeah. And Connie Burton was preceded by Wendy Davis, so right makes a lot of sense. So member drive. Well, hold on, I got to give you a congratulations before we get you out of here. Um, you guys won a lot of Morrow Awards, seven, right? At Texas Tribune. Yeah, we had a we had a great year with the Morrow yeah. Awards. Must have a great executive editor up there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not taking credit for that. I'm surrounded by smart people, uh, and I, you know, I wasn't one of the award winners. They were these. These were spread kind of around our newsroom. You were wrong. Uh, we did win. We did win for general excellence, which is a, a big award for us, and you know we're real proud of it. Well, kudos there. Uh, you got a member drive underway at Texas Tribune. Tell folks how they can be members and how they can support good journalism. Uh, just come to our website at texastribune.org and you know sign up to be a member. We're a nonprofit organization. Uh, it's the biggest capital. Bureau, State House Bureau in the United States. Uh, we try to cover Texas, you know, politics and civics and all the things that happen down here in the capital and around the state. A lot of issues and things like that. And we're member supported, so we're doing our springtime member drive, uh, trying to raise fifty thousand dollars by the end of tomorrow. And if you guys would show up and support us, even in a very small amount, we'd really deeply appreciate it. Yeah, need some contributions from the other side of texas at ross ramsey on twitter thank you for your time bud 
Always a pleasure. And thanks for not knee-jerking. <laughs> well, Talk to you soon. Well, Title One bringing you this segment, well, part of the segment, with the Congressman Jody Arrington, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Congressman, whenever I was a kid, the big deal was that we always went to putt-putt. Like, that was the big, like, maybe once a quarter. You got, if you made your A's and you read your books and you got your book of awards, like, you went to Pizza Hut and then you got to go to putt-putt. But we played this game and it was like, bop a, bop a gopher or a prairie dog or whatever. Whack them all. Yes. So they would just come up and just boom, 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 boom. And I'm watching all this agriculture. It's just one thing after, like, okay, Brazil. And then that deal. And then maybe we can squeak in cotton under the, the disaster relief uh, bill. And then once that's done, guess what? We're going to have a trade war with China and sorghum and pork. You're first up. I mean, it's just always something. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of moving parts to uh, this economy, trade, farm bills, taxes. Um, I think we're getting most of it right, but, you know, the people sent this president to shake shake things up, and I think he's doing the right thing by holding uh, China, uh, for example, accountable by uh, for not playing by the same rules everybody else is. I, I got to have a meeting with him on this. I was representing Texas. There were other ag states and districts in the meeting. It was at the White House. And, and um, look, I, I, I think that uh, the United States is the only country that can stand up to bad actors when it comes to trade. Mm-hmm. And um, turns out even the use of chemical weapons and other things. But in this case, it's, it's trade and unfair and anti-competitive behavior. And uh, th- this president, the thing about him is he's not easily influenced and that's actually a positive thing because it doesn't take much before some industry group or some special interest they could be good special interest but applies pressure and he uh, blinks and then we can't hit reset the whole goal is to hit hit reset and either have them playing by the by the same rules everybody else or out of the game altogether I got to tell the story about China. I said, we know this all too well. We used to be number one in cotton production in the world. Now we're number three. Guess who's number one, Mr. President? China. And then I went on to talk about how they stockpile and dump uh, uh, cheap cotton on the market, or they have, how they've had state-sponsored farming in China. It's really hard to compete when you have <laughs> you know, the government basically owning and operating your your farmers neighbor's got eight thousand acres and that's a whole lot but uh, i'll take the neighbor over uh, a country yeah so (laughs) i think a continent you know i think in some ways um if they could they'd love to put us out of business of feeding our own people and making and by the way and making war machines and and other important products with aluminum and steel if the shoe is on the other foot we would want our president to fight for our for our ag producers. As it is, it's steel and aluminum manufacturing. And so the, he, we, he has to be smart and he has to be careful and thoughtful. And those are that's part of the advice we were all giving him. Be targeted, be measured. 
But I told them our folks stand with him. I, we got almost, a, if it wasn't a standing ovation, it was certainly the biggest applause line when I talked to the Plains cotton growers at their annual meeting and said, we need to stand by this president and hold China accountable for their behavior. And uh, so I think our guys are for him. I certainly am. Well, I get it. And, I, you know, I hear people say, well, look, uh, let's go to the Korean Peninsula for just a second. But, well, we've done this. This is the third time we've done this. You know, South Korea, uh, Korean reunification. You know, we've been there before, so let's not get overly optimistic. But at the same time, it didn't seem like a strategy of, let's just let the process play out through the Obama administration was necessarily compelling to Korea. Like, going out and putting putting big boats out in the water in the peninsula or near the peninsula. Now, that became compelling. for So, I understand Trump and, you know, I'm one who I actually appreciate the Rocket Man stuff. I think it, it makes for good radio. <laughs> but, and columns and whatnot. But, on the other side of that, we're we got sorghum and port guys yeah. specifically. Those are the first two that, I'm, like, okay, well, I appreciate the aggressive tone, but we're going to be writing the notes here. Do you think that those countries are going to flinch? I do. Okay. If we ever had the 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 guts to to stay on course, and I think this president, and 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 he said this the other day, and he took actually this is what I told him in the meeting. We can't hit reset with China. We're addicted to cheap products. We are, uh, status quo is a very difficult thing to change in Washington. Uh, we know that this will be painful in the early stages. If we can hold out, and if you will get the NAFTA deal done, it'll take a lot of pressure off our ag producers. If you can do more free trade deals in the Asia-Pacific area, that'll put more pressure on China. I think there are things you can do without blinking in this reset with China. Don't blink. Our guys are standing with you. But when all else fails, just give us your word that you're going to take care of the fallout for our farmers and ranchers mm. as... Um, well, what was his... How do you he, respond? He said, absolutely. That, that was his first sort of statement is that he's committed to taking care of our ag producers to the extent there is fallout he just said hang in there with me we're going to get this right but i gotta i gotta have you with me while i'm doing my thing and his thing is very different than most presidents i mean this isn't your traditional this isn't your mom and dad's politician and and i think it's refreshing and i think it's look Measure a man or a woman, measure a leader by their results. This president, in a one-on-one -on -one negotiation with the president of China, got beef into the largest market in the world that where it's been precluded for 14 years. Same thing with pork in South America. Just measure, I think, and judge this president by his results because his personality is a little uh, unnerving. And his style can be unnerving, his methods, and I don't even subscribe to 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 any of or all the above all the time, but I I do believe that he's got this country and the manufacturers and producers best interest. I think his instincts were right. We're not getting fair deals. No. And I think he's right. We need to bring back the made in America.
not necessarily superficially just to go out and buy things because it's made in America, but to maintain the ability to make stuff. We don't want to be a, a pure service economy. That's not... That's not a strong future for this country. You know what a big economic hit's going to be whenever all these news agencies have one guy whose job it is just to monitor the president's tweets. And then whenever the whenever whether that's in the next cycle or he wins again, there's going to be a lot of people out of jobs. Yes. More, more jobs lost in media. I want to switch over with you here to SNAP and what you're seeing. What do you think the reforms will be in SNAP? Well, the reforms we have in there now, I think, could be dialed up, I think, because they're going to have to be negotiated out of the Senate, where you have 10 Democrats that we've got to get before we move it to the president's desk. But as it is today, it's going to be a straight Republican vote, it looks like. Although I'm not so sure that the public sentiment will not be so strong and overwhelming that some Democrats will come back over. Because if you think about it, this is a pretty reasonable and measured step in the right direction with respect to work requirements. We're just saying if you're 18 to 59, meanwhile the rest of us have to work till we're 64 before we can uh, earn our benefit of Social Security. But we're saying if you're an able-bodied adult, 18 to 59, you have to work 20 hours a week to receive the benefit. We're not kicking you off of the of the food stamp roll. We're saying like in privately employed. Or are we talking about WPA? Like they're going to go down and help build the wall? Or I mean, listen, there's six million surplus jobs in this country, and I credit a lot of that to the, the tax and regulatory uh, relief. The, the jobs that. I mean, what about the jobs that, quote-unquote, no Americans want to do? Well, um, there are no Americans that want to do those jobs because we've created a system where they don't have to have those jobs. As my dad always said, you want a man, you want a system where people don't go hungry, but you, I mean, where they don't starve to death, but you want to keep them hungry enough that they're looking for a job. You and I were in, I went to a function that you were speaking at in Stanford with young professionals, and we were at the... uh, at the Cowboy Hall, yes, there in Stanford, and heart tapped Charlie Stenholm, and and we were there, and there were twin brothers, and one of them ran a huge operation in Wichita Falls, and he buses people out, right, yeah, to to Stanford, yeah. and he pulled me aside and said, "Hey, look, I can't get people to work because unless I like pay them a lot more than what market value is because they have comfortable settings." Uh, they everything's taken care of if they went to work for me then they would lose these benefits yeah that's that's exactly right we've disincentivized work i think the food stamp program or supplemental nutrition assistance program is part of the problem but there are lots of them medicaid i mean you have people that uh are showing up at emergency rooms where it's the most expensive way to provide care when all they need is a primary care doctor, but there's no skin in the game, there's no shared cost, so why wouldn't you go to the emergency room? There, it's look. The system is riddled with um, disincentives for responsible behavior, but in this case, we get the first big bite, I think, at the welfare reform apple. And oh, by the way, 
a, a president of another party was a leader in this regard, and his name was Bill Clinton. He signed Welfare to Work in, in 1996. You should go back and read his remarks. We can't trap people in the cycle of dependence on government. We didn't create welfare to be a lifestyle. You would think it was Ronald Reagan talking. So I don't know where we he lost our way. pragmatic, though. Yeah, he was a pragmatic. Oh, Absolutely. But we need some pragmatic Democrats to get this reasonable work requirement so that we can incentivize people to be their best, to enjoy the blessing and dignity of work, and the best way out of poverty is work. I love the capitalist side of you, by the way. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, people people may draw the wrong conclusions about me. Uh, again, a great note uh, from Morgan. I'm loving the podcast. I listen to it every morning from iTunes, being able to listen to the prior day's episode. The next morning is awesome. You've replaced my usual podcast and it's the first podcast i listen to every day thank you for that morgan and you can go to itunes go to uh, other side of texas and i'll tell you it's worth what you pay for it which is absolutely nothing if you like it leave us a good rating there congressman jody errington he's still getting used to being called congressman you know jody is it jody is now? you know Cotton Eye Jody. Cotton Eye Jody. You know, that oh, was, that's another thing. That's but first that, yeah, congressman. Okay. First congressman. Well, now, look. Here's the thing. I knew two two things made me very proud, and it it was a good signal that we were making some progress. When I had a meeting with the speaker, he had a, several of us around, and he asked us to give sort of five minutes worth of what we were, what was on our minds, what we hoped to accomplish. This was, you know, several months ago, probably maybe, yeah, several months ago. And uh, he got to me, and before I could get anything out of my mouth, he said, I know, I know, cotton, cotton, cotton. And uh, that, that, I thought we're making some progress, and uh, people know what we're here to do. And and then, of course, when my colleague on the uh, commodity subcommittee that oversees Title One, when he introduced me for my five-minute remarks, said, uh, "And I yield to the gentleman from Texas for five minutes, Cotton Eye Jody." I said, "You know that's okay. You know it's okay because uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of folk, some from the Cotton Belt." and some from other parts of the country, but everybody pulled in the leadership. I give a lot of credit to to Speaker Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, who came out here for an event in Lubbock and claimed that he had as big a cotton district, I think, as I did, and I, I took exception with that. Mm -hmm. But you in know front what? Of everybody. Uh, oh, nice. But you know, uh, yeah, he did in front of everybody, yeah. didn't he? So he said something about. So much for the good desk. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> now you're I, up in the balcony. I, I let him say whatever he wants <laughs> if he's going to help carry the water to get cotton back in the farm bill safety net, and he did. And I think it's going to increase the. A, it's a game changer for us. B, it improves the probability we get a farm bill done. But is the backroom scene, whether it's filled with cigar smoke or not, with getting cotton in through the disaster bill, surely there's some there's some back scratching that has to be returned, especially with Democrats like way up in the up in the Midwest. Uh, is it that now you're going to be a big proponent of dairy for the guys that came down and helped push cotton through? I mean, what goes on then politically? I don't know anything about scratching people's backs. I mean, for us, I think the majority of it was you had people suffering in disaster areas where 
it was outside of their control and it, it was but for the grace of God go I. So whether it's Katrina and Rita and, and uh, the Gulf Coast and Mississippi mainly and Louisiana or it's the hurricanes that hit Texas, I think our fellow Americans generally rally for each other. But is it a sigh of relief for them that whew, the most contentious part of the farm bill has by and large been resolved? And Absolutely. that's the part of the farm bill that you can't eat, and that's the fiber part. Look, we were in such a bad way because of the the big drop in prices without the market risk insurance for the one commodity pulled out of the safety net, which was cotton, that... Um, even that disaster that caused tens of millions of damage to the cotton producers in that region, it, it just it, it I would claim cotton was as much a disaster as 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 anything. And uh, the dairy thing came along as a as a way to try to fix something early to make it less political and give the other side less leverage when we were reforming food stamps. So I think it was a good look ahead. Um, and look, they don't have the they didn't have the problem we had of the lack of safety net what they do have in the northeast is a an unfair trade situation with canada where they put a 200 plus percent tariff on our dairy and we have an open market for the canadians i mean that's that's an area where president trump has said we're going to modernize update and make for a more fair trade deal for american producers yeah. they're not our cotton farmers they're not even our dairymen but but they're part of the agriculture uh economy in this country and uh, I, as i say i don't care if it's the citrus growers in florida or our cotton producers or the dairymen in the northeast we need to do right by american because it producers all has consequences and but, unintended consequences and they rush to our aid and support us we need to do the same yeah. for them it's, it's just like we started off with like bop a mole or whatever whack a mole i mean tariffs foreign subsidies weather and then ill-advised foreign policy i mean it's always something uh, within that think that that plays to the strong tradition that we have with agriculture and in American government but Jay let me interrupt on that all those things you said you know add up to one thing we need a safety net if we want to continue to produce our own food yeah. we need a safety net we don't need uh, to support agriculture's operation with uh, the subsidy that people call it, we need a true insurance product safety net for when we get bad trade deals, we get mass subsidies from other countries and their products, and when we have cost to produce over here that are not comparable with cost to produce in other countries Factors for a number of reasons. outside of a producer's control yep. like there's like like there's I understand that the 80s took out guys that weren't the most responsible right and so there was some personal responsibility to be said and to be had there and it weeded some folks out. i'm talking from the yeah. cotton sector in the early yeah. 80s uh, with you know interest rates and everything else that was going on, but uh, you and I have had this conversation for offline. I was brought home from the hospital to a farmhouse to a father that had just started his own operation in 1982, like the absolute worst time mm. to be underwater starting out, which is what most guys do. They start out underwater, and then over time, the cost of production, fixed price, all you know, all those variables. And that was the absolute worst time. So I know firsthand 
and, and people are like, well, is Jay on the dole for the lobby? Like, do you hear any ad? Maybe we will have ad commercials. I, I don't do that out of, and I hate to sound sanctimonious, but I feel like people in positions to be heard need to speak out for others because their fate is more tied inside the city limits of Lubbock than people would like to admit. It is a mutual fate. No doubt. And you need to speak up. So, uh, well said. Good on you, Cotton Eye Joe. Well so, said. this is where I'm going to leave us off for this one here. And we had James Arnold, president of ABC Bank, on yesterday, a little 101 on how regional economics work. And I brought up to him on my part, like if I could put, present a white paper on here's what we need to take care of policy-wise in rural Texas, whether that's East Texas or West Texas or North North Texas, access to credit. And, and Arnold was in agreement with that. He thought, he thought that technology could help take care of that as well, access to credit. But it seems, and he brought up four big banks that have 85% of the deposits. Uh, rather than going after them in post-2008, we went after... The brunt of it's been felt by community That's banks. Right. So, I don't know. There's some movement right now in the Senate for a bill that Paul Ryan calls essentially a, a Dodd-Frank replacement. But without getting too far in the weeds here, um, where what movement's being made on rural access to credit? Well, rural communities and small businesses, which is the predominant operation. Um, an enterprise in rural America has been disproportionately hurt by big government. I just quoted Ronald Reagan this morning at a celebration for small businesses because this is Small Business Week, and uh, he said, "You can't be for big government, big bureaucracy, and big taxes, and be for the little guy. You just can't, because it has a disproportionate effect. That's why we've lost. That's why we've lost a community bank a week since Dodd Frank was implemented." We have thrust billions of dollars in uh, compliance cost, most of which is passed on to the customers because they have to, because they have to keep their, but, their margin. Okay, so this is the populist side of me. Nothing happened to those big four. I mean, not that I can see. No, that's nobody's in jail. You know, they aren't like going in crying, wringing their hands to their boards. I mean, what happened to them? Well, this is the irony of one of the many ironies of Washington, D.C., but especially on the Democrat side, I must say, I'm sure Republicans are guilty of this too, but the the bill was, the Dodd-Frank was Wall Street reform and consumer protection. I don't know about you, but not having access to credit, I just got back from Rawls today, Floydata, those those banks don't, don't do mortgage lending anymore because they're told where they can and can't lend and they have tremendous risk they have to hire, hire more lawyers more compliance officers they've gotten out of the uh, a lot of consumer credit so they've let less access to credit in this these small towns they're paying more they're filling out more paperwork the consumer's not protected and and to your point the big guys have gotten bigger there are more concentration of assets no. in the big banks and we have fewer small banks so so the the senate is passed which is we should we should pause to congratulate the Senate any chance we get because it's a rare occasion. We passed the Dodd-Frank repeal and reform, the Choice Act, which I co-sponsored out of the House, a much stronger repeal and reform bill on Dodd-Frank. But you got to get 10 Democrats in the Senate. So 
uh, we did get a, a Dodd-Frank reform, and it is going to be focused on providing relief to community banks. just really grinds my gears because I, when I told James yesterday, James Arnold was, I hate, and I tell my kids not to say hate, but this is how strongly I feel <laughs> about it. I hate it when I hear rural, and I don't care where it's mentioned, it'd be rural Alaska, <laughs> but especially, most especially rural Texas, talked about in past tense. And it seems to me, unless we do something on a whole host of issues, and we got to close this one down, so I won't mention all those, but especially access to credit, then you can't, you can't create and you can't begin new beginnings and revitalizations in these communities. No, that's true. You can't farm. You can't run a small business. Um, and uh, I will say that in the Farm Bill, I want your audience to pay close attention to something that's not getting a lot of uh, play, and that's the tremendous investment into the technological backbone that is missing in half of rural America, and that's access to high-speed Internet. Mm -hmm. So the investment in broadband technology is the big rural development play. Yeah. It's like the rural electrification of the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and I remember Trump was up at uh, what agriculture yeah. farm was that? Where yeah, he the Farm that? Bureau in uh, yeah. Tennessee. That was it. I'm sorry, no disrespect, Farm Bureau. I just couldn't remember which one it was. But with that comes telemedicine. I saw an article today about teletrauma that uh, the Health Sciences Center is starting out and the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. Yeah. So, and that's, well, that was the point that James made yesterday was I said, look, rural access credit's in my top three. And he said, no, technology's in my top three. Absolutely. Because with that, we'll come. You can, connect, uh, you can connect better education, better access to quality care. Look, when, before I ran for this, I was helping run Grace Clinic and Health Systems telemedicine program. And we were piping specialty care to Childress, wonderful team, great community hospital, but like a lot of community hospitals, they just they could offer what they could offer, what they could afford and, 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 and stay in, in operation. So we were piping our specialty care so that they could um, not have to make the travel, lower the cost, uh, provide better act. Technology is the solution to a lot of things in the healthcare space. We talk about a lot of government solutions and for we've got to get government out of the way as a barrier to technology because it's the only thing I know of that can that can satisfy the big three better quality and better access and bend the cost curve so what I'm hearing you say is we need to make uh, Facebook into a public utility just kidding we'll talk about that <laughs> okay. next time We'll do that one next. You're time. still hey. just as dangerous to do an interview with as you did when you were on West Texas Drive. I, I, I tried to just keep that up. Uh, we we do have, we've had some statewide write about interviews we've done on this program. You sure you don't want to answer that question? Right now? Yeah, I want to. Uh, I've got an answer, but it has some choice words. So uh, this is still a family station, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we can say five different cuss words. I tried to stay away from them, though. Tomorrow, we're going to have James White. We're talking about the issues that he sees. And I bring up his race because it's played into a case with Steve Stockman. And I won't ask you for comment on that one either, <laughs> Congressman. But Steve Stockman wanted to get rid of uh, our friend James White because he said, quote, conservatives love black conservatives. And he wanted to uh, they put surveillance on them. 
following him around, tried to tried to make sure he wasn't up to anything unseemly. So, so he'd have the bags on him. He's going to get into that. It's the first time he's addressed those issues. He's going to do it with us tomorrow. And we talk about his other side of Texas. Here on Other Side of Texas, you can follow the show. Other Side of Texas on Facebook, Twitter, at OSTX Show. And uh, until then, you can look forward to this audio up on iTunes and up on OtherSideOfTexas.com. Little sister, get us out of here, and we'll see you on a Thursday edition. Thanks for tuning in. One night in Kansas City, after we had played the show,